Okay, I'm going to continue uh, from where we stopped yesterday. Uh, so, abundance of grace. This is where I'm asked to stay as part of my commitment. And <clears throat> so, I won't shift for part of commitment being in obedience. Romans 5, let's all go to the theme. Romans 5, uh, 14 down to 17. We'll read again. But the theme of the conference, you know, the very subject is uh, 17, eh? Okay. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that have not seen after the similitude of Adam's transgression, uh, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God. I mean, the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, had abounded unto many. Not as it was by one that sinned so, sinned so is the gift for the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift of God is of many offenses or to justification. For he by one man's offense, death reigned by one much more. Death will receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by Jesus Christ. We dealt extensively with this yesterday. And some of you can still remember that. Is that not true? Talking about reigning in life. So explicit. We're not reigning through life or by life, but reigning in life. Life has become an environment where we exercise our authority. Amen? Okay. Um, one more time, I'm going to be discussing. Anytime I'm sharing, it's going to be a flow between grace and righteousness because the two things are going together. Is that okay? Yeah, you can't separate grace from righteousness because it is actually grace that is bringing you into righteousness and righteousness enables you to live out grace as the case may be. So, they all go together. And it's funny, um, can I say funny? God uh, is, is, is a humorous person. What I mean is he, sometimes it makes you laugh. It sometimes makes you uh, do some things. I was actually... Still meditating yesterday evening. I didn't quite finish up what I needed to do in terms of putting out the message. So that's when I told my wife, I'm going to wake up at 4 o'clock and I'm going to study until this time. God, I was a little bit weak. I just needed some rest. And um, very close to that 4 a.m., the Lord just woke me up in a kind of vision anyway. I, I, and then finally, was teaching me mathematics. And I said, what is going on here? And then um, he drew on the board a triangle. Now, it's not acute uh, angle, it's not a socialist triangle, it was equilateral triangle. At least I'm still trying. Thank you. <laughs> so, I was meditating, I look at that, what could this uh, triangle be standing for again? Um, I come and I say, look at this, what is this? It's a, what are you doing with this thing? You don't know math. I say, but the Lord was teaching me mathematics this night. Tell me what it stands for. He said, um, this uh, triangle, equilateral triangle, as he find. So, what is supposed to be the whole thing? The land, the bread, the base, and whatever. He said, well, I don't want to give an answer now. Let me be very sure. So, I want to speak to one of my cousins, who is a mathematician, and let him tell me precisely what it stands for. I said, okay, that's fine. So, I went upstairs, and I just went into my computer, goggled there, and I brought the whole thing out. Equilateral triangle has equal sides. 
Is that okay? Three angles. 60 degrees each. What is that supposed to mean? Righteousness. Why is it so? Because the word righteousness is... If you look at it from the original Hebrew or Greek word, it means equity of character. That's the triangle the Lord was showing me. And now what God was trying to tell me, what you are teaching is the truth. Is that okay? I remember one time in South Africa, the same thing I was teaching on Emmanuel, God be with us. And the people were just getting a little bit confused or something. And the night, the Lord also woke me up from the book of Isaiah, I mean the book of Sam. And he gave me a scripture and I read it and I came back to church the next day and said, this is what I was saying yesterday. God is just trying to confirm to us that what we are saying is the truth. Amen. So, what is God is bringing you into is a balancing. Is that alright? Just like the triangle has equal side, three sides to it, and it's almost the same thing, your spirit, soul, and body. Equal. Balancing. Amen? So it means of righteousness actually is equity of character or art, especially Christian justification, righteousness. Now if you check it from the ordinary dictionary, whatever, Webster, it says, acting in accord with divine or moral law, free from guilt or sin. Free from guilt or sin. So the first thing you need to know is you are free from guilt or sin in any manner because you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen? Moral rights justifiable. It talks about arising from an outrage equity or being right with God. That's the key thing, being right with God. Amen? Hallelujah. So I want you to understand that God is interested in what we are doing and God is he, I want to say he loves what we are doing. Amen. And that is why you should take what we are talking about very serious because he's going to speak for you at the end of the day. Uh, God brings forth his word. He would definitely continue uh, to make us understand that his word will not return to him void. It must accomplish. It must achieve. It must produce the result. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. Um. Let's look at the book of um, Romans chapter 9. Let's look at something there from Romans chapter 9. Romans 9 verse 30. The Bible says, What shall we say then? That the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, quit follow after the law of righteousness, have not attained to the law of righteousness. Amen? The Gentiles, quit followed not the law of righteousness, have attained to righteousness. Hallelujah. And those who are struggling to be righteous, missed it. So, if you live your life based on law, you miss it. That's why I keep on emphasizing. The key to you becoming righteous is to believe in what Jesus has done. Hallelujah. Amen? So, true righteousness is obtained by faith. True righteousness is obtained by faith. Hallelujah. 
You must understand that the Gentiles have no law. There was nothing they were depending on to do to please God. But their faith in Christ made them to obtain the gift of what? Righteousness. And it's called the righteousness of what? Of faith. Don't forget. There is the righteousness of the law. There is the righteousness of God. Which is the same thing as the righteousness of faith. Amen. Hallelujah. The righteousness of faith is what justifies you. Not the righteousness of the law. The righteousness of faith is what justifies you. Remember, one of the definitions of righteousness is to be free from guilt or sin. Are you see that? So righteousness justifies you from guilt or sin in any manner. Praise the Lord. Now, let me explain something. Some of you must have read it before in the back book of Isaiah chapter 6. Remember, when the, what you know how to quote most or what people quote most is the, who shall go for us? And Isaiah said, here I am. And then the next thing is, in the day when Uzziah died. Uzziah must die for you to. I have no problem. We'll kill all the people for you to be able to do whatever you need to do. I don't need anybody to die for God to call me. I don't think it's doctrine. I don't need anybody to die for me to get into my success. I don't think so. Amen? No, I don't believe that. That is there doesn't make it uh, a doctrine or a principle for me to live by that somebody have to die for me to get into success or for me to receive the thing that God has for me. No, 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 no. Now, but you see, what I'm trying to point out is that when you look at that scripture, begin to read that, and then the Bible says, uh, a shadow being flew with the coal from the altar. Is that okay? And touch your tongue. And what's the next thing he said? Today, thy sins and thy iniquity poured and thy sin forgiven. Simple. What did he do to have those sins forgiven? No. And where did he come from? From the altar. So the altar sanctifies. By implication, God is saying, hey, listen, if you think you have some sins before, this moment, they are wiped out. You are a free man. Because you are free, you are righteous, you can speak for me. Is that okay? So once, you see, you must, you know why, you know why it has to be so? Because there is this guilt consciousness in every man. And once it is there, you can't move forward in life. You can't. Anything you want to do, God is not angry, I mean, God is not happy with me. You want to do this, God is not happy with me. You are always full of the thought of guilt. You are guilt conscious. You are sin conscious. And as a result of that, there is no ability in your life to do anything. But one of the things that what we are sharing we help you do is to clean your heart and your spirit from such thoughts. Are you see that? Because of what Jesus have done. Alright. Let me show you something in the book of Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah 61, I'm going to look at just verse 11. Look at what it says. For as the earth bringeth forth her bud, 
And as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth. So, the law, God, will cause, what? Righteousness and praise to spring forth before what? All nations. Hmm. God will cause righteousness. That means, <laughs> can you see the analogy? You plant your garden. Is that, is that okay? And then you put your seed there. And what happened? The plant begins to come on its own. It begins to bud, begins to produce flowers. And God said, that is the way it's going to cause righteousness to spring forth. Now, one thing you need to understand is, when God says this in the book of Isaiah, then Christ had not been given birth to. Is that okay? He's all righteousness. Now, he's causing to spring forth in all the nations. And even you as an individual, God has deposited the seed of righteousness in your life. You can't tell how it's going to grow, but what I'm assuring you, you are going to be righteous equitably, spirit, soul, and body, the way God has designed it. That is your lot. He is going to cause it to happen. Hallelujah. Amen. He will cause it to happen. Now go again to the book of Isaiah 62. Just move forward, Isaiah 62. And let's look at verse number one. Praise the living God. But I like that word. I'm going to cause righteousness. Hallelujah. So it's like saying, I'm going to be the gardener. I'm going to do the planting. Alright? Okay. Isaiah 62, verse one. For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. Until what? The righteousness thereof go forth as brightness, and the salvation thereof as was as a lamb that born it. I will not rest. I will not hold my peace. Of course, we've read before that when God finished creation, he rested. But here he's saying he's not resting. Why is he not resting? Because of you. Zion's sake, which is the church. What is he doing now? He's producing the righteousness that he wants out of your life. Are you getting that? Now, see, the first thing is you have to see yourself the way God sees you. How does God see you? How does he estimate you? From what perspective is he viewing you? You gotta see yourself the way God sees you. Don't see yourself the way religion sees you or defines you. Don't see yourself the way your community defines you. Your background can no longer define you. Hallelujah. Verse number two. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness and all kings thy glory. And thou shalt be called by a new name, which is the mouth of the Lord shall name. Hallelujah. What name is that? If you go down, you're going to find the name. It talks about Biola, Hezbollah. Biola actually means married. You know the word? God is not going to leave you as a widow. Okay, anyway, let me read it from the message so that you can catch it. Isaiah 62, I'm looking for 1 to 5 from the message. Regarding Zion, I can't keep my mouth shut. Regarding Jerusalem, I can't hold my tongue. 
until our righteousness blazes down like the sun and our salvation flames up like a torch. When you say can't keep my mouth fit me, he can speak in righteousness to the church. What is God declaring? Righteousness. He said I will speak peace, I will speak righteousness. Can we start speaking what God speaks? I will keep my mouth shut. I will hold my tongue. Verse 2. Foreign countries will see your righteousness. And world leaders your glory. Hallelujah. (laughs) Can you see what he's trying to do? Listen. It is only when God begins to make this happen and they begin to be experienced that a war will come to the church. Foreign nations, foreign countries. We see your righteousness and world leaders your glory. If some already we need to, our church leaders need to begin to understand this. When I mean church, I'm not talking of local assembly here. World leaders are not supposed to ordain us. World leaders are, you understand what I'm trying to say? They can come, but we don't necessarily have to give them the platform that we're giving them now. Read on. You will get a brand new name straight from the mouth of God. You'll be a stunning crown in the palm of God's hand. A jewel gold cup, head high in the hand of God. No more will anyone call you rejected. And your country will no long, no more be called ruined. You'll be called Hezbiba. My delight. And your land, Biola, married. That's your new name. You are not rejected. Because sin will cause rejection. Are you following what I'm talking about? But God is saying, I'm not going to keep my mouth shut. I keep on speaking righteousness until your righteousness spring forth, your glory comes forth, world leaders begin to come, and that you can no longer be called rejected. If you're not rejected, that means people are going to be seeking your favor. Men have really looked down on you, are going to be looking up to you. Why? Because of righteousness. You need to believe this is who I am. I'm not rejected. You know, we preach Jesus. God, God, God does not look at sin. God, yeah, God does not look at sin. And that is why he, he forsook Jesus. So that he can look on you. Because what did the world say? My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? And he said, well, because God does not look on sin. Fine. Who sin made God to forsake him? You. For how many times will you think God is going to close his eyes against you? He can no longer do that. Because he closed his eyes against Jesus. Huh? Now when he was saying that, he didn't say my father, he said my God. So that he can become your father. Are you sitting with me? Remember all the while, I do not understand what I see my father do. Glory, Father, I need my father. But when he got to the cross, he didn't use the word father. He exchanged it so that you can have the father. Hallelujah. Are you sitting with me? So you can talk to your father anytime, anywhere. He became God to him while he becomes your father. Hallelujah. Amen. 
Before he went there, he was his father. And he was your God. How many of you can understand what I'm saying? Now God does not like to look on sin. So for him to begin to look at you, no, because he cannot look at sin, that means you are rejected. Not only God, but even the nations around you also rejected you. But when he took what you were unto himself, he became God to him, and he called Father unto you. No more rejection. Hallelujah. The next thing he said, because your life shall become Biola married, because God delights in you. And your land will be a wedding celebration. Hallelujah. For as a young man marries his virgin bride, so your builder marries you. And as a bridegroom is happy in his bride, so your God is happy with you. Come on, man. God is happy with me. What does he want? The same question I've been taking care of. That is the only thing that makes God to be angry with you. Everything you call the wrath of God was laid on him. Now you are the beloved of the Lord. Can somebody catch this? You are the beloved of the Lord. God is happy with you. Come on, walk the street knowing God is happy with you. That's the first thing you need to establish at the back of your mind. God is not angry with you. The wrath of God he took on himself. You know what we talk about? We talk about the judgment day. Huh? We like to preach stuff like that. Judgment day. Fire and brimstone. And God put all the fire and brimstone on Jesus. But you, you won't believe what I'm talking about. But I'm saying the truth. You can't be judged as a sinner anymore. You can only be judged as a son in the father's house. What you are going to receive many stripes, not eternal hellfire. Why is it so? Because you already been judged in Christ. But as a son, your father can chastise you. So your judgment is not the same thing with the man and the wall. You need to understand that. God is happy with you. That's what the word says. If you, if you just want to be happy with yourself, fine. But God is happy with you, so you should be happy. Come on. Do you understand what I'm talking about? If you just want to be happy, fine. But God is not angry with you. What is God doing? He is happy with you because he has planted righteousness in your life. Praise the Lord. When we talk about the Gentiles, I, I begin to look at something. I begin to look at something in the word. If you look at the book of Matthew, last week actually God said, go read through the whole book of the book of Mark. And I started reading. And a lot of things begin to come out. I find that Jesus wasn't going to the Gentile nations, the Gentile communities in the little of ministry. Have you noticed that? Okay, watch. You go back to that Isaiah 61 and 62. You find the same principle. You say, Gentiles shall see. Are you still there with me? Okay, look at Mark chapter 1. Let's look at something, Mark, Mark chapter 1, verse 38. In Mark 1, 38, you know, he was ministering when he came to this place and said, let us go to the next towns. And there is something I want you to see there. Something struck me. Why is he interested in those towns? What towns are they? The word towns in the Greek there is Komopolis. 
And it means an unwalled city. City that is not fenced up. Amen? They are most of the villages of the Galileans. They were in the intermixture of Gauls and Greeks. Hallelujah. So we're actually talking about habitations in open country on a world villages. Now when you read this, sometimes you begin to feel well. These people, because they are not fenced around, they are not protected, therefore they are going to be praised to all kind of stuff, all kind of enemies, whatever, fine. You, you are right, no problem. But the point is this. Jesus moved to these nations that were on wall. I'm going to make you see what the Lord made me to see from there. But in the first place that he might become a wall to them. All cities of old, like used to have the Benin Mount, they had walls. To protect them against enemies. So they were trusting in the face to protect themselves. Now, but Jesus moved to cities that have no protection so that they can be protected. Are you seeing it? And what did he take to replace so that he can not only protect them but to make them righteous? Mind you, these were people that do not have the law. And the righteousness of God was to be revealed in the midst of the Gentiles and to the Gentiles. People that have no law. Hallelujah. But basically, hear this. For Jesus to come into your life with his righteousness, your religious walls must come down. <laughs> All your mindsets must be brought down. All your beliefs that is contrary to what God is doing must be brought down. He went to cities that have no walls. And the example of that I'm going to make you see is the life of Paul. If you look at Philippians 3, verse number 7 and 8, you know the story if you look from verse 1, it talks about how is the Pharisee of the Pharisees, how is this, how is that. You know, he got all those credentials of super Pharisee. A Benjamin, second size on the eighth day, whatever. He got very wonderful credentials as a Jewish man. Learned in the school of Gamaliel. Amen? But look at verse 7 and 8. But what things were gained to me, those are counted lost for who? For Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but love for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but rubbish that I may win Christ. So what happened here? Paul dropped all his credentials so that he can receive the righteousness of God. Amen? So all your religious beliefs are the walls that are making it difficult for God's life to move into you and to reveal his righteousness. He went to cities that have no walls. Hallelujah. Are you getting what I'm talking about? So man, listen, listen. I'm trying to make you see this morning. Get off all of those stuff, all of those thinking, all of those theologies, all of those messages you have received, how, how, how stupid you are, how dirty you are, how much of a sinner you are. Come on. Can I say this again? God is not angry with you. You are not a dirty pig, somebody. You are not. You are a child of God, born of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. 
It know when y'all spread out. God, I bless y'all, me a poor sinner. How long he got to remain a poor sinner? You've been a poor sinner since ever you were born again. And we think God is very happy when you say that. It's like you have your child, you know, you are such a king, you sit in your palace and your child is coming to you. And he says, oh, Dad, you know, I'm very stupid, I can't come close enough. And that child is supposed to be the heir to the throne. And he comes close by and says, But you know, I'm very stupid. I'm very ugly. Just allow me. You know, what would the king be thinking? This guy is mad. So they get the palace guide and chain him. Get him some concussions. That is where you approach God. God said, I'm not hungry with you. The Bible said, God is happy with you. How can God be happy with you and you are describing how stupid you are? Praise the living God. Can you see why the Bible talks about the sacrifice of Jesus? How that we can be bold to approach the throne of God. When you are bold, it means there is no guilt consciousness, there is no sin consciousness. You can approach him. Come on, can we share something powerful and think about that? Can you even imagine Cain? After killing, he could still negotiate his destiny with God. Do you not remember that? Oh, come on, he went to God and said, man, what are you doing? This thing you've done will make everybody in the whole world to kill me. I don't want to die. And God reversed the whole thing. I said, okay. Then I can agree with you. I'm going to put a mark on you. If anybody touches you, that man will die. Seven times he's going to crucify him. But that's a man that I've already killed. That's a man that you could still talk to God. And God is saying, I've cleansed you. And you come to God and say, I'm a dirty person. The man just finished killing. The record is there that he's a murderer. But the guy could still negotiate. That's the God we serve. <laughs> Do you understand? That's what people say. Come just the way you are. Stop describing your stupidity. He's telling God. I, I, it's not as if I didn't know I killed. But listen. What you've done now. I don't have security. Anywhere I go. People will come after me. You better change the verdict. God said okay fine. The guy has his life to live. He knows exactly what he wanted to do. He went and built a city. Begin to name the city. Lamech, Methuselah, all came from it. They are his grandchildren. What are we talking about? That's a man that kills somebody. How many people have you killed? What's wrong with you? And now you can't talk because somebody has preached you into death. Somebody has preached you into believing that you are so dirty that you can't speak to your father. Therefore, you can't negotiate your destiny. But a murderer could still negotiate his destiny, built a city, named it after himself because he wants to live by a memorial. He gave back to his son and named the city Enoch. You have no agenda yet or what you want to do with your life. God is not, God is not holding you back. You are the problem of yourself. No, 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 forget about that one. Because Enoch knew what he wanted to do. I want to live a memorial. Listen, when he killed this guy, he hadn't gotten married. In the midst of when a cause was supposed to be in his life, he planned his family. Come on now, somebody needs to understand this boy. He knows where he was going to. Huh? He planned his family, raised children, built a city. 
Music today, one of his songs was the originator of music. Jubake. Read it. That's the grandchild of, 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 of Cain. He negotiated architecture, engineering, hunters. They all came from him. That is the man that discussed. You who is blessed. Who is, what is coming out of you? People have messed up your brain. So you are not thinking right. That's the problem. Help me tell you, no, but God is not angry with you. <laughs> That's the very good place to start from. He's not angry with you. Plan your destiny. Know what you want. Negotiate with your father. This Cain, Cain that killed. Even if you are a witch, the best you have done is to stop only from progressing. Because the people have allowed you. But that is not still enough. Negotiate with God. Are you still there with me? Hallelujah. And I love the word when you say, God is happy with you. Oh, that settles it in my heart. Anybody can be angry with you. But just let God be happy with you. And His righteousness will spring forth. They who don't believe you will turn around later to come to you. Because of God's righteousness. Amen? Hallelujah. So what are we saying? Paul have to drop down all his religiosity was for Christ's grace to begin to flow in his life. Turn with me to Galatians 2. Crazy belief is making it difficult for God to manifest his power and glory through us. Let's go to Galatians chapter 2. Let me look at verse 20 and 21. Amen? Maybe I need to run a little bit fast. I don't know what the time is saying. Okay. 2021. Look at the boy. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet more time, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the Lord, then Christ is dead in vain. Hallelujah. But now let me, let me, let me read it from another translation. Complete Jewish Bible. For it was through letting the Torah speak for itself that I died to his traditions. Hallelujah. The Torah has to speak of the laws of Moses. Is that okay? For it was through letting the Torah speak for itself that I died to his traditional legalistic misinterpretation. I like the emphasis. Legalistic misinterpretation of God's word. But for to let it die, that is why I have to give it up. Amen? So that I may live in direct relationship with God. When the Messiah was executed on the stake as a criminal, I was too. In other words, I died together with him. You must understand the power of association. When Christ, listen to me, when the Messiah was executed on the stake as a criminal, I was too. In other words, I died too. So that my proud ego no longer lives, but the Messiah lives in me. And the life I now live in my body, I live by the same trusting faithfulness that the Son of God had 
who loved me and gave himself up for me. I want you to know that. The trusting faithfulness that the Son of God had. What it means is, Christ trusted God while he was alive. Amen? 21. I do not reject God's glorious gift. For if the way in which one attains righteousness is through legalism, that the Messiah's death was pointless. If the way through to attain righteousness is through legalism, then Christ's death is what? Pointless. This Paul talking. Don't forget that this man I was talking is a man that was handling the law. It was for the sake of the law he was killing Christians. How many of you understand that? Praise the living God. So Paul has to drop his religiosity, like I said before, in order I want to gain Christ. Look at Galatians 5, verse number 3. Galatians 5, 3. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised, that is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. You are falling from grace. Hallelujah. What does it mean to fall from grace? To resort to legalism. When you move out from being led of the Spirit, you fall in from grace. Hallelujah. You move out from being led of the Spirit. You move out from following what God is saying, you have fallen from grace. When it comes to what you can do to please God, amen, in a legalistic way. Now, I'm not talking of commitment now. You need to understand this is a big difference. Huh? You have to be committed to grace. We don't have to be committed to God legalistically. We have to be committed to grace in serving God. Amen? Hallelujah. Are you following it? Okay. Now, let's look at First Peter. Let's look at First Peter. I'm sure I should be able to finish up this. Let's look at First Peter. There's something very interesting. We'll share in part two later. Make you see some things. First Peter one. I'm reading from verse number nine. The Bible says, "Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophet have inquired and searched diligently." Who prophesied of the grace that shall come unto you. Unto who? Unto you. They were prophesying of the grace that is going to come unto you. The prophets. And they were seeking to know when and how this is going to be. God did reveal it to them. Amen? Searching what, uh, what manner of the time the spirit of Christ which was in them did signify. When he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So glory has to follow the sufferings of Christ. You are to partake of the glory. Until we were revealed and not unto themselves, but unto us, the did minister of the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you. With the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angel desire to look into. Whereof or wherefore, get up the lines of your mind, be sober and hope to the end of the grace that is to be Brought unto you at well the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now watch this. 
First of all, Paul talked about circumcision. You need to understand something about that. I don't want to speak so much on that, but I need to. If you watch, if you watch, circumcision is the same thing like baptism. What are baptism? It's both ways. Is that okay? But circumcision is not an outward thing. Circumcision, apart from circumcision of the heart, the physical circumcision is more exposed. Am I talking? Come on. Am I talking to <laughs> I want you to understand something there. Even the natural circumcision, I'm not talking about circumcision of the heart. The natural circumcision that Adam went through, I mean, uh, Abraham went through, was not supposed to be displayed in the public. Did you get the, what I'm talking about? So, through circumcision, is a thing of the heart. The grace is something that's on your inside. True righteousness flows from within. Hallelujah. So here the Bible is talking about revelation of Jesus Christ. What am I trying to say? The word revelation there in the original Greek is apocalypsis. Apocalypsis is that which is hidden. The thing is present but you can see it. Until it is exposed. Are you still there with me? Meaning the grace of God is already on your inside. But what is keeping it from being exposed is your religious beliefs. Hallelujah. Until you change your mind to begin to understand who God is, who Christ is, what he has done for you, what he intends to continue to do for you, you cannot assess the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Everything that kept Paul from assessing what he was supposed to assess, what his religious belief, the credentials, your walls must come down. Amen. Hallelujah. Are we still there? Okay, you turn to the book of Titus 2, let's look at 11 to 15. Titus 2, 11 to 15. Paul will only say, I'm what I am by the grace of God. Amen? It is what God defines you to be, that is who you are. You can't be anything less than that. Titus 2, 11 to 15. I'll read from the message. God's readiness to give and to forgive is now public. Salvation is available for everyone. We are being shown how to turn our backs on a godless, indulgent life and how to take on God-filled, God-honoring life. I want you to see this definition. People sometimes talk about, hey man, you talk about grace, you need to talk about sin, but listen to what grace can do for you. Catch this again. Verse 12. Are you there with me? First of all, let me take it again so that you can understand. The grace of God is now available. That's what the Bible says. Is that okay? Look at verse 12. We are being shown through this grace. Are you sitting there with me? How to turn our backs on godless, it don't get life, and how to take on God-filled, God-honoring life. That is what grace message does for you. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, grace, let nobody deceive you. It's not a license to sin. Not one bit. But rather the message is showing us how to turn our backs 
on a godless, indulgent life and how to take on a God-fear, God-honoring life. Hallelujah. And the next thing said, this new life is starting right now. And it's wedding our appetite for the glorious day. When our great God and Savior Jesus Christ appears. He offered himself as a sacrifice to free us from a dark, rebellious life into this good, pure life. Making us a people he can be proud of. Energetic in goodness. A people that God can be proud of. How can God be so proud of you and you are not proud of yourself? You are not even proud of what God has done. Hallelujah. Amen. Verse 15. Paul is still talking to Timothy. Titus. Tell them all this. Build up their courage. And that's what I'm doing. And discipline them. Even they get out of line. I'm going to flog some of you. Because you are not thinking right. Tell them this. Are you sitting there with me? Get them to be courageous. Let them know who they are. This is the message of grace. People will not understand. <laughs> hey. And the next he said, you are in charge. Don't let anyone put you down. And I like that. Titus, you may not be that old, but you are in charge. Don't let the face of these old ones put you down. Are you sitting there with me? Tell them the truth. Make them know what grace can do. Let them understand this is what Jesus has come to do. The ability and the readiness to give and to forgive is now available to everyone. It's left for you to receive it or you stay there. But grace is speaking. Hallelujah. I say grace is speaking. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay. Let me just take something just a little bit. And then uh, we can go. But remember what he said there. How to leave, to turn our back on less indulgence and all of those things and how to live a good life and the life of God. Is that okay? So that what grace is telling us. That means grace gives you the ability to stop doing some things that are not right. Do you understand what I'm saying? There is power in the word of grace to stop you from doing some things that are not right. Hallelujah. I want you to get that. So that you can see precisely that you are not just talking about grace and don't be callous with your life. No. There is enough grace, like everyone sharing, there's exceeding grace or flowing grace, whatever. There is enough grace also for you to be able to stop doing some things that are not right in the sight of God. Amen? And Paul is saying, you Timothy, I'm entitled, go teach the people this thing. Call them to be strong. Call them to be courageous. And if anyone is callous, discipline that individual. I remember one pastor in Benin used to carry him to church. He come late to church, he flocks you. Yes, yes, we witnessed that. Around 96, 97. I remember flogging one of the elders. And the children were in church. The children appeared earlier. The man came late. And he asked me, come here. Whip the man in church. Wife, everybody was watching. He came late to church. Amen? I think he was applying the scripture. 
Hallelujah. But you know, the truth is tied there is the word of God. Say foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of the chastisement are the words that drive it out. The word. Amen? So what am I trying to make you understand? There is enough grace for you to live as God intends you to live, to live a very life, a perfect life, a righteous life, a very good life. God has made that thing available right now. I can walk into it. Amen? And the Bible makes us understand, don't forget this, God is happy with you. Because he has decided to plant righteousness in your life. And the righteousness is going to blossom. Not just going to blossom. The Bible says glory comes with it. And then the nations will come to look into the glory that is in your life. Praise the living God somebody. To me, somebody like King Solomon was an example of the man that lived by the glory of God. You know why? Because number one, he did nothing. Everything he needed to build the temple was provided by his father. This guy was not thinking. He only got the architect to put in place. He didn't have to struggle. And that is why to me, I, I, I see it's the reason why his name is not among the heroes of faith. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And this guy had nothing God told him to do. He only told him, I'm going to bless you. So his name is not among the heroes of faith. Jephthah is dead. David is dead. Halot, Rehab is there. Are you getting what I'm talking about? They have what to do, but this guy has no assignment. Very specific. He just needs to continue what his father did. All the building, all the material. This guy just lived his life and started doing business. That's why he was even selling peacock and selling donkeys and apes. He got into business. Because there was nothing. You won't fight wars. Because if you know that you are a king and you're going to prepare to come to war with you, he marries your daughter, come in and comes in. So no war. And so the guy has the thousand wives. He was just applying wisdom to live his life. No struggle. So to me, he just lived with grace. Amen? He lived out the glory of God. Amen? Money came into his hand. Because provisions were made. And the Bible says, a very good father will lay off for his grandchildren, lay off for his children. The father laid down for Solomon. And Solomon came and enjoyed. And what am I trying to say? God laid down everything for you. In Christ, he gave you the best gift, the best provision. Everything you need for life is in Christ Jesus. Stand up and let's give thanks to the Father. I want you to understand and I want you to know it. That the Father has made all that is needed for you in life. Right now to live out the life that God has is already available by grace. Amen. And don't forget this as you pray. God is not angry with you. What is God doing with you? He is happy with you. Amen. Praise the Lord.